0: Someone comes to you with a problem. You help them, of course. Next week, they're back with a related problem. A few days later, a very similar issue. If you're in this pattern, how do you get people to stop coming back to you with the same problems? On this episode, where to start? This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 387. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you may recall an episode that I aired a while back with Michael Bungay-Stanier on how to stop rescuing people from their problems. And it was one of the more popular shows that was aired two years ago. And it is a struggle for so many of us as leaders of wanting to jump into that rescuer mode and being helpful, and yet finding ourselves handling problems that probably we shouldn't be handling. And today's guest is going to help us to take the very next step on how we can really stop having people come back to us with the same problems and being able to tactically ask and answer some of the right questions that will get us there Get them there and help us to become more effective as leaders. I am thrilled to welcome to the show today, Corinne Armour. She is a well-recognized investigator of change and growth, and empowers leaders to realize the potential in their careers, teams, and organizations. She has trained over a thousand leaders across a broad scope of backgrounds and challenges to help them build engaged, productive teams. She is an accredited Master Certified Coach with the International Coach Federation and a certified Neuro Linguistic Programming practitioner, and. She She's the author and co-author of several leadership books, most recently, Leaders Who Ask, Building a Fearless Culture by Telling Less and Asking More. Corinne, so glad to welcome you to the show.
1: Thank you, Dave. I'm delighted to be with you.
0: Well, uh, I mentioned that episode from a couple of years ago. Uh, you've heard it as well, and I know you're an admirer as well of Michael Bungay-Stanier's work. And this is a challenge that so many of us uh, find ourselves in a leadership of people coming back to us with the same problems, don't
1: we? We so do. I was actually working yesterday with um, a director of nursing at hospital. This woman's on the executive team. And the challenge that she wanted to address yesterday was how did she find time to be more strategic? And she thought the problem was she just had too much work. But when we looked at the amount of work in adverted commas that she was doing that wasn't really her work, things that she was taking on and that she wasn't putting the responsibility back in the organisation where it needed to be, that it actually isn't her workload. It's everybody's workload that's her problem and she needs to get the work back where it belongs, Mm. which is exactly what we're talking about, how to stop people coming back with the same problem Or with a variation on the same problem that from our perspective, we can see, well, that's the same as what we talked about last week, but why can't you see that? So it's a challenge.
0: Indeed. And it's a challenge that so many in our listening community struggle with. I know I absolutely have struggled with this over the years is I think by and large, most of the folks I'm part of this community are really helpful people. We like to help. We want to help. We want to help jump in and make the world a better place. And the challenge though, is sometimes we really do that to our detriment, don't we?
1: Absolutely. I I talk about helping too hard. And when we help too hard, and that's, as you say, it's always motivated by good positive intentions. I'm, I'm motivated by I want to help you. I want to help myself. I want to get things done. I want to get this sorted out for the client. So, the motivations are positive. But when we help too hard. We end up in the situation that my client yesterday is in where we're overwhelmed. When we help too hard, we undermine our executive peers quite often because we're jumping in and doing things that aren't ours so that so it can feel like undermining. It can feel like a lack of trust from the people below us and it's disempowering. So, I think intellectually, if you go through that, people start to see, oh, okay, so my helping isn't actually that helpful. And they get it on an intellectual level, but translating that into, well, what do I do instead and how do I break years of habit? That's the challenge.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you said the word intellectual because when I think about this challenge of stepping back and being more coach-like and not jumping in and solving problems, I think most people would say, gosh, yeah, I know I shouldn't be doing that. I should be asking more questions. Uh, but it's kind of like, as Michael pointed out in one of his recent articles, it's it's sort of like exercise, right? Everyone recognizes the value of exercise. It's, that's not the challenge. The challenge is how to change one's habits. And I think in, in a lot of ways, coaching's like that too, is when we're thinking about it and intellectually we know oh i should be more coach like i should be asking more questions but then in the daily whirlwind of our work as leaders we just don't do it do we
1: absolutely and you were commenting on on a story that i have in the book in leaders who ask about brendan and brendan saw himself as as a good leader And he cared a lot about people. So, it comes from a a construction and engineering background, very strong people focus. And when he was thinking about going into a coaching conversation, I need to work with Dave this afternoon and we're reviewing the year and we're thinking about Dave's career. He actually diagnosed himself as having very good coaching skills and really holding the conversation through the framework of asking and exploring. And yet, as you say, when you're in that daily grind of, okay, what's next, what's next, what's next, he said people would approach him, ask him a question, and he would just respond to the question and move on. And so, he was constantly answering all of these questions that many of them he'd answered before, and his people weren't growing, and he was getting stuck in the reactive operational work. And so, I said to him, you know, what's stopping you? Because it's not a lack of skill. He, he knows how to do it. And intellectually, he, he understands the value of taking a more coaching approach. So, we can tick both of those. He's, he's, that, they're not the issue. What is stopping you? And he said, it's three things. It's, it's habit, it's time, and it's the desire to help. So, once again, he was, he was helping too hard. But it's that habit of, okay, right, a question is asked of me, I have the answer. So, why why do you think we do that, Dave? Why do you think we jump in and answer, even though intellectually, we might know that's not the best way to do it?
0: Oh, for me, it feels good. (laughs) It's so nice to be helpful. And it seems like that's what we should be doing. And I think the other part too is a lot of the times in my career, at least, I know, many in our listening audience struggle with this too, is we are in the leadership role because we did a pretty good job at the role of the person we're now leading previously. And so we often have a pretty good answer, or at least one that worked in the past. And so it's so tempting just to jump in and feel like we're being helpful. And it's a sense of satisfaction that goes along with that too.
1: totally agree. And neurochemically, there's things going on in the brain that can explain that. So when I ask a question and you want to jump in and help, and as you said, it feels good. It feels good because you're getting a dopamine hit. The dopamine's part of the brain's reward system. So do you like chocolate? Just a little aside. I do love chocolate. So when you have chocolate, you get a dopamine hit. It's that that's that feel good that you get when you first eat chocolate. Not necessarily when you finish the whole block, but when you first you know, have that first bit of chocolate. Oh, that feels really good. And it's it's that same dopamine hit. That you get, that's that little reward for the brain when you do something good. And we are trained from our from early childhood right through our school system, through our early work history. When we do something right, when we have the answers, then we get rewarded. And so we've got this really ingrained habit of feeling good because we've given people the answer, because we've known the right thing. And so, we get this dopamine hit. So, we have this addiction to being right, an addiction to helping. And I think it takes a bit of a strong self-coaching frame to say, well, how well am I developing my people if I am constantly giving them the answers? How empowering is that? It's just, it's not.
0: Yeah, indeed. And it's both we're not developing people, but at the same time, we're also we become the single point failure in the system, right? So Absolutely. if we're not there, or we move on, or someone else moves on, we're not providing a system within the workplace, just looking at it from a system standpoint, that is productive and effective and helps people to take their own initiative.
1: Exactly. Or that has an inbuilt succession.
0: Yeah, indeed. And so one of the things I'm curious about is how we can get out of this this habit, because this case study of Brendan in the book is just lands with me so squarely in that I've seen myself doing this, where when I'm prepared, when I'm sitting down to have a one-on-one, when I'm thinking about being a good coach, that by and large, I do a pretty good job with a lot of the skills that we've talked about on the show over the years, including this one. Uh, it's the when I'm not in that mode. And of course, 95% of the time in daily interactions, it's not prepared. The conversations are spontaneous. The email comes in. It's a question that comes up in a a staff briefing. It's the question that wasn't anticipated on the conference call line. And that's where I think many of us really fall into our bad habits. So I am curious, from a habit standpoint, when you've seen people begin to make this transition successfully to, I'm not just doing it when I'm sitting down prepared fully and thinking about it, but I start to do it in my daily interactions, what changes for them?
1: Firstly, then it's about awareness. If you don't have awareness of something, then you can't change it. So that's where, that's where we need to start. And it's both awareness of what's happening now, also awareness of the impact because until we're willing to see that what's happening now is not getting us the impact that we want or is not getting us the impact that we want as effectively as it could be or as fast as it could be, then nothing can change. So, in, in the case of Brendan, we started to think about you know, what's really going on now? What's the impact of you answering all these questions? What's the impact of you helping too hard? What's the impact on your people? So we've just started to talk about then you and I. What's the impact on the on the organisational system, and what's the impact on you personally? Because we all have a very strong element of self interest. And so, what's the impact on you personally? So for Brendan, it was he wasn't getting onto the strategic things. He was looking for a promotion that he was he he thought he was pretty close to ready, but until he could be more strategic, that wasn't going to happen. And. He was just constantly frustrated because people were coming back with the same questions. So, the first thing is really to think about what's going on now and to discover what's happening and the impact both for you and for the people around you. And then the next step is, why is that happening? So, let's decode it. What causes me to jump in with the answers? And so, we've talked about a couple of things. We've talked about time. We've talked about That it feels good. And we've talked about that it's habit. So if we want to change a habit, we have to replace it with something else. So if the habit is jump in and give the answers, then can we just come up with two simple questions to start with that become the habit instead? So when you ask me what to do, what's two simple questions that I can have top of mind? And top of mind might be just Thinking about it, it might be that they're on the screensaver on my phone. It might be that it's a sticky note on the front of my book. If I carry a book around, it might be a little sticker on, my, on the side of my computer screen. But how can I keep these couple of questions top of mind that can start me moving in this direction? Because the main thing we need is a circuit breaker. So for Brendan, I think the questions that we started to think about is, what do you think I'm going to ask you? Or what do you think I'm going to tell you? because usually people know, they've faced similar things before, or what have you tried so far? And even just that question is really important because so often we want to jump in with the answers and we'll tell them things they've already tried. So what have you tried so far? And what do you think I'm going to tell you to do? And that helps us then to set that pathway forward. And, And we just need to start a habit change with a small habit change, not a big habit change. Let's not go into, let's do a whole full-on coaching conversation. It's just what's one or two questions that I can bring in that take me in the direction of asking more and telling less.
0: You're lining up with so much of what we've heard from the experts who've been on the show talking about habit change too. I'm thinking back to the conversation with James Clear earlier this year that it's really about making small shifts. So part of what I'm hearing you say here is maybe having a go-to question, right? So it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you won't ask other questions or that you massively have to change your style, but that if you have one question, maybe two, that you can go to when someone comes to you with the same problem the fourth time, right? Or maybe just the first time asking your advice, that if you've got that go-to question then that's a starting point to change the dynamic of how this conversation goes.
1: Absolutely, and it, it might be worth Dave just thinking really briefly exploring the, what happens in the brain when we tell versus ask. Please, because that when it, when I tell you what to do, you you may listen and you may do what I say, but. The only part of the brain that's really engaged there is, is the rational part of the brain. There's no real ownership of that. There's not necessarily anything that's going to help you commit that to memory. So I tell you something, you say, okay, right. And you may or may not go off and do it, but that's it. We're done. If instead, if I ask you a question or a couple of questions, and that leads you to come up with your own insight, then that involves whole other areas of the brain. So, when we have an insight, you know, insight's that flash of, oh, yeah, I've got it. You know, I took those things and those things and those things together and I came up with a new understanding for me. So, in that moment of insight, there's an emotional component. So, you're much more likely to remember it. Um, the hippocampus is involved and that's the part of the brain that's responsible for longer term memory. So, you're much more likely to remember it. And you're also much more likely to be able to generalize, which means that I can take the solution that I've developed for this thing and apply it to something that's not exactly the same but is similar. So there's the ability that one insight that I have then taken on, committed to memory, feel good about it and feel accountable for, I can apply it to other situations as well. So when you think about that, it's not surprising that every time I have something I come and ask you, you tell me, I go off and do it, but then I have to come back again because I haven't committed it to memory yet. I can't generalize it across other situations and I don't feel accountable for it. But ask me a question so that I've, I've I've got the engagement and the connection and the commitment and then I can apply it across multiple situations. That's when we start moving away from the answer question and answer dependency.
0: And so much about leadership is, it's less and less about providing answers and it's really more and more today, I believe, about asking the right questions for giving that ownership to people. And this brings up another question that I I find people run into when they start to make this shift. They see this often in our academy is folks start becoming more coach-like on a regular basis, and they start asking questions. And sometimes, at least with some people in the organization, people start to develop a frustration with that leader of, oh, I'm not getting answers to my questions anymore. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I'm getting questions in return. And some people get it really quickly, other people in the organization, I find, sometimes struggle with that. They're used to that person, that leader, solving their problems. Uh, in some cases, have they've been doing that for many years. Uh, I'm curious if you've run into that too. And if so, uh, when you're coaching leaders on that, how do you suggest that they navigate around that?
1: We actually need to frame it for people. We need to say, I'm shifting my leadership style, or I'm developing a new leadership style, or I'm looking at more effective ways of working. And what you might notice is that I'm going to step back from giving the answers. So that's the behaviour. Then we need to align our intention with that. And the reason I'm doing that is because people are more empowered when they come up with their own solutions. So know that I'm always here. I'm always going to be backing you and it's going to work in a different way than it has up until now. Hmm. So you really you really need to be explicit. And the more you've been in the habit of just giving answers, the more explicit you will need to be.
0: Yeah, so you're not just surprising people by suddenly showing up one day and, and starting to act differently, which to your point, even, even if it's a good behavior change is a change. And if people aren't ready for it, then they're sort of wondering what's going on, but actually being very explicit about it. Do you find it's helpful to do that before you're making the change as you're doing it later on? Uh, do, have you found something that's worked better or worse for that?
1: I think you need to do it in all three. <laughs> you need to do it as as you're starting a new style and then as you're doing it. And then you may need to do a bit of a review. So, you know, over the last couple of months, I've been focused on shifting my leadership style and I'm really curious, how's that working for you? Oh, nice. So, use a coaching approach to get feedback on that.
0: Yeah. And imagine that, tell people what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Funny
1: that one, one of the things that, that I'm very strong on is the, the need for us as leaders to align our behavior and our intention.
0: Yeah. Because
1: yeah. people look at our behaviors and they guess intentions. We need to make it explicit. And then when we're working with other people, when we're coaching other people, we need to look beyond the behaviors to understand what their intentions are.
0: As I think about that first step of coming back to that question, I mean, you know, so much of this it comes back to, are we just willing to take the first step? You know, it can become very overwhelming to think about all the different things we could do around giving ownership and of having people not come back to us with, with the same questions. But that first step is really, really challenging ourselves to ask those one or two questions. As people begin to do that, and as you see a shift over time, Corinne, what's next? starting to ask just to, that question when someone comes to you, um, what do you find is
1: a good next step? So the first step is just pause, breathe, and ask a question. And so once you've got that, once you're not immediately jumping into, okay, here's what to do, expand your question repertoire and and start to be more conscious about how you do that. And actually, there's probably a, a caveat or a warning that should be over this, over this whole podcast, Dave, and it's, this is that we are not training leaders to be coaches. It's no more appropriate to take a coaching response to every situation than it is to take a, a command and control response to every situation. I, I think leadership is is very situational and so what's needed by the people in the situation and the specific task in this moment, what's needed from me as a leader? and. Much more often than we realise, it's asking questions and not telling. But there are times as leaders when we will need to be more directive. So I think it's really important to just make that distinction of this isn't, not every situation is a coaching situation. Mm, indeed. So our next steps is just expand your question repertoire so that in any situation you can ask questions that lead people to their own insight, whether that's a one-on-one exchange that's more formally set up whether that's we bump into one another in the corridor and rather than giving answers that we ask questions and, and even through to how do we have meetings with clients how do we conduct team meetings when we've got a clear purpose that guides the questions and the direction we want to go into so that clear purpose and i think curiosity is critical when we start to judge people and if i ask you a question and it feels like it's laden with judgment, it's not going to get any of the results that we've been talking about. So, curiosity is like is an antidote for judgment. So, when I'm genuinely curious and I'm asking you questions, not just to help you, but from a place of my own curiosity, that's when the space opens up and we can have a really good conversation.
0: I, and I love what you said about, you know, this isn't necessarily about you know, we're not trying to memorize a list of questions or have the perfect question every moment. But if we come to that space of being genuinely curious, then the right questions often going to emerge. And even if it doesn't emerge perfectly, our intention to find out what's going on and how we can help is going to get us not only having a better, more productive conversation of helping that person develop... But it's also going to, perhaps more importantly for us too, it's changing our mindset of how we approach developing people.
1: It absolutely is. As a leader, I, I think one of your, your number one priority or responsibility perhaps rather than priority as a leader is developing others and particularly developing leadership in others that's not by telling them what to do. It's by creating that environment of curiosity and asking the questions so that people can come up with their own understandings and and guiding them to do that.
0: All right, Corinne, this is perfect. So one of the things that I love about your book is you really capture so much of what we've talked about in this conversation, the big picture behind doing it. The other thing that I, I love is that you just provide so many helpful questions and scenarios of, you know, if you're going into a meeting, if you're going into with a customer, if you're going into one of those hallway conversations, how do you have that conversation to become, as you say in the book, a leader who asks and not necessarily being a leader who tells, although occasionally we need to do that. There's so many great resources there in the book. And so it sounds like it's a really good starting point for folks who want to jump in and uh, begin to do a bit more of this at least once a day.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's it. And what a lot of people have said to me about the book is that it's really actionable; that they can read it and then do something with it immediately. And that's that was my intention in writing it.
0: Whenever I have experts on the show, one of the things I'm so curious about is where they've struggled as well, because so much of leadership is about you know, making mistakes, learning from them. As we've talked about this conversation of. Uh, People seeing that we are also struggling with things as well. Corinne, I'm curious for you, when you look back over your career and and the work you've done, where's a place you failed and what did you discover from it?
1: I had quite a painful failure many years ago. I was headhunted into a role to lead a really large project in the organization that I was working in at the time. And I didn't do enough due diligence. It should have raised warning bells for me that the previous project director was no longer there, that there wasn't any handover. And the executive who, who recruited me said, look, we have faith in you. Now You can do this. And so my ego kicked in and I thought, of course, of course I can do this. And I didn't see the warning signs that the project was probably, it had been going for too long and it, it was probably beyond repair. At that time, there was a shift within the organisation from let's run massive, big programs of work back to let's run a lot of smaller projects instead. And so, the it, there was an executive decision made to cut the funding from this big program of works that I was leading and only just keep a few smaller parts of the project going. And that was really tough for me because it was a high-profile role. I knew that I was struggling, but i i didn't have I didn't have a coach. I was looking for someone else in the organisation who might have done something like this, who could mentor me. But the executive that I was working with at the time didn't want a conversation outside where outside our immediate circle to to suggest that perhaps we weren't completely on top of it. So I felt really alone, and. That impacted my confidence. It impacted my sense of self probably for a number of years. And it wasn't until, until I realized that I was holding on to all the pain but not learning any of the lessons. And I think we're, as people, we're really good at that. We tend to hold on to the pain, but we bury the learning. And so I consciously then let go of the pain and I consciously brought forward all of the lessons that I'd learned from that and made sure that I, I had good understandings and I processed them. But that actually probably took me a couple of years. And it's one of the things that that then inspired me to move into initially the coaching space and now most of my work is with leadership teams to actually help others learn from that because if I had not felt so alone and if I had have had help in being a stronger, more decisive leader earlier. I think there might've been different outcomes from that situation.
0: And there's so many of the lessons you learned from that that now have emerged in the book. But one of them I'm, I'm curious about is you mentioned hanging on to the pain. And I think that that is something that a lot of us have, have struggled with in our careers of, of those painful moments we've had. What did you do to ultimately set the pain aside? What worked?
1: First, I worked out it was there like I stopped blaming other people and took responsibility for it and worked through and what have I learned because I gained quite a lot from that I'm not sure that I would end been where I am now if that hadn't happened so I I just be, made sure I was really clear on what the learnings were and I think I just gave myself permission okay you've beaten yourself up for a little while over this now it's actually just time to move on and so just overtly giving myself permission to do that. And I I see this so often. Um, I reckon every leader who's probably, I don't know, over the age of 35 would have at least one of these situations that was like a career sliding doors moment. And it's, it's what you do in those times and what you do after that, that really shapes you as a leader. It's not all the times when success comes easy. It's the times when Things are harder and you get through to the other side of them. That's what shapes who you are as a leader.
0: Well, thank you so much for reminding us of that. Corinne Armour is the author of Leaders Who Ask, Building a Fearless Culture by Telling Less and Asking More. Corinne, thank you.
1: Thank you, Dave.
0: Corinne and I talked a lot about coaching skills in this conversation. Many past episodes also related to coaching skills. One of them is episode 190, How to Improve Your Coaching Skills with Tom Henschel. Tom has been on the show many times, as a dear friend, and also the host of The Look and Sound of Leadership, an excellent compliment to this podcast. And in episode 190, Tom talked about coaching, how do you balance coaching and leadership and management, and also use some analogies that I think of often when I am thinking about using good coaching skills and becoming more coach-like. Episode 190 is a great starting point for that. I would also recommend episode 237, These Coaching Questions Get Results. Michael Bungay-Stanier was my guest on that episode. He talked about the effective coaching questions out of his book, The Coaching Habit, which we referenced in today's conversation. If you are looking for a great foundation to start, how to ask Good questions. The coaching habit is a great place to go in addition to Corinne's work. So many good questions there that will get you started in conversations. And another episode that relates directly to today's conversation is how to stop rescuing people from their problems. Episode number 284, Michael Bungay-Stanier was also my guest on that episode. We talked through how do you overcome that tendency that so many of us have in leadership is to jump in and help, but to do it perhaps a bit too much and getting to the point where we're rescuing people a lot relates directly to this conversation. If you found this helpful, definitely check out episode 284 as well. All of those episodes are on the coachingforleaders.com website. One of the topics that's listed under our library is coaching skills. So many more episodes that are built around this as well. So if you haven't yet set up your free membership, you'll want to do that. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. That'll give you full access to our entire library of episodes since 2011, searchable by topic. Coaching skills, just one of the many topics that you'll find on the website there. In addition, you'll get access to my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. If you'll give me just 10 minutes a day for 10 days. It'll help you to get the most immediate, practical actions to become a better leader. Plus, it's going to give you access to all of the benefits of free membership that'll help you to discover so much more in the Coaching for Leaders platform. In addition, my book notes. I read through Corinne's entire book, took notes as I went, and I have posted those notes up uh, inside the membership portal. Those will also be coming to those of you who received the weekly leadership guide on Wednesday. Access to all of that completely free. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com and set up your free membership. Next week, I am so glad to welcome back to the show, Sharon bar David. She's returning for the third time to be teaching us how to protect our reputations in this era of Me Too and so many other things that are going on in language and in culture and in diversity. How do we as leaders navigate that to watch out for our own reputations, also to be able to protect and empower the people around us. Join us next week for that. Thank you so much this week to Michael Holiday for the kind review you left on Apple Podcasts. Michael's a longtime listener. Michael, thank you so much. If you'd like to leave a rating or review, coachingforleaders.com Apple's where to go. If you're an Overcast user and this episode was helpful, hit that star button. On the bottom of the app, there. Help it to recommend it to other Overcast users. Thank you so much if you do either. Have a great week and see you next week with Sharon Bar Take care.